welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hello, Anna. How are you? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine. And as always, it is good to be together again. It certainly is. And well, it's been a week of making our intentions more obvious by deliberately placing our attention on what we're doing, focusing on something we're eating or some simple tasks. And I have to tell you, wow, you know, my mind never stops. It's all over the place with all kinds of distracting patterns. It's like my thinking has a life of its own. Well, and Anna, you're right about that. You know, the mind does have a life of its own and it's fed and fueled by all those experiences and conditioning that we've had, you know, going back to infancy. I mean, it starts in our babyhood. Well, every day it's like the chocolate exercise all over again, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. except I'm not enjoying the chocolate. I'm intentionally (laughs) sensing the full experience in the moment. And then my thoughts start to wander or a slew of thoughts and criticisms or memories come in and take over. Some may be related to what I've intended to be focused on, or they just, or, you know, or they just could be as like random uh, thoughts. Um, We sure do stay busy in our heads. I got to tell you. Yeah, we do. That's so true. You know, and that's the purpose of this exercise, Anna. We want to experience firsthand how our intentions and the intention, the attention, you know, are often sidetracked. So we have the intention where we want to be and the attention actually focusing on where we want to be, you know, sidetracked by an ongoing stream of habitual thoughts, you know, and this ongoing process, you know, we're focused one minute and we're distracted the next, you know, and it's why we refer to our autopilot thinking as a monkey mind, or sometimes you and I have referred to it as a train that runs 24-7 because it's continuous. You know, we're not going to stop the train. That's not our purpose, but we can step off the train and we can move to a safe distance away from the tracks so that we can see what's happening as it's happening. And in our chocolate exercise, We practice noticing when we've been carried away by our thoughts, and we acknowledge this in the moment, and then we return our attention to the chocolate, you know, which was the focus of our intention. That's where we wanted to be. So this simple maneuver taps into the observer self part of our consciousness, and this part of consciousness informs us about, about, about our thinking, you know. Where it's gone, what it's about, it's an important piece that we can observe. Yes, I understand that this happens all the time, yet it's powerful to observe in in action. Well, yes, you know, and that's the power of taking the pause, stopping for a moment. We take a moment to notice where our attention is focused. You know, is this where I had intended it? You know, and if not, We can assess where or what has distracted us. We acknowledge that and we can quickly disengage and return our attention back to where we wanted it. So this is the pause and it it makes room for us to observe our distracted thinking. You know, it's that runaway train. And then we can stop 
and step away and take a look and see what's happening, but we don't have to be on it. So again, the process engages part of our consciousness that allows us to observe what's happening, the observer self. We're able to notice where our attention is focused and determine, is that the location that we desire? You know, and this this whole process is crucial in determining what control we have um, in the life we live. So mastering the pause and allowing our observer self to provide information supports us in being the best version of ourselves and living our life in ways that support this purpose. Well, that's right. So we're stepping away from the old habits. We're stepping off the train of the old habits, you know, stepping away from the the habitual thinking and habitual behavior. And in the long run, we're developing self-awareness. And this is going to be key. Anna, we'll be talking about this, you know, as we go along. You know, the self-awareness is the capacity to accurately assess our strength and our limitations and make the changes we desire to be the best version of ourselves. So these simple practices that we're starting out with really prepare us for taking on these other tasks down the road. You know, and each of these dimensions deserves more exploration. No, we really kind of need to dive in and and explore more about what's happening. So, So what I'd like to do is to begin by looking more closely at our autopilot thinking. Now, and that's such a, a broad topic, as you've said so often, we can't stop the train, you know. So I've realized over our time together that knowing about it isn't enough. We need to experience it in the moment and have tools and techniques to shift out of it or away from it if it's keeping us from being the best version of ourselves. Well, Anna, you're right on target. You know, we call it autopilot because it requires no effort. It requires no motivation. You know, it's a steady stream of thoughts and ideas and memories that occurs without any cognitive intervention. You know, it, it's like there's there's really no thinking to interfere with it. You know, we sometimes call it stream of consciousness. And the material that comes with this is often referenced, you know, to our past experiences, you know, or it could be you know, how we're anticipating future possibilities, you know, and with our past experiences, you know, we're talking about our our conditioning, all the beliefs, you know, that we grew up with and that we formulated, you know, even in our adulthood and the entire emotional bundle of that combination of thoughts, feelings, body sensations, and impulses, they all, all feed and fuel this stream, you know, and we often project these onto others and into the future. I'm probably using these same variables like life experiences, beliefs, and conditioning, right? Yes. And and we miss out on the present moment. Well, that's exactly right. So it's happening behind the scenes continuously. You know, we're not necessarily alert to this process, you know, yet it's running, as I say, continuously and, and going virtually unnoticed. So there's this strong practice effect. You know, we're doing it over and over again. It's like we're working the autopilot muscle even without realizing it. You know, and I can remember many a time driving home from the office, pulling into the garage, and all of a sudden, 
realizing it's like, oh, I'm home. Wow, that was quick. You know, and the truth of the matter was that I didn't recall anything about my trip home. You know, I didn't remember stop signs or red lights or navigating intersections, you know, and and yet I always assumed uh, that because there wasn't a squad car pulling in behind me, that I'd probably (laughs) made a lawful um, drive home, even though I wasn't fully conscious, you know, and this is an example of that autopilot phenomena. Oh boy, Dr. Jane, I've been there a million times, you know, (laughs) Uh, crazy, scary at times. The mind drifts off and we're lost in the other world. I don't know what that world is at the time, but (laughs) we're lost in it, (laughs) which isn't always a bad thing though. Well, you know, and I think it's important to point out that the human physiology is an amazing design, perfect in many ways. And every process has its purpose. So Autopilot thinking needn't be considered bad or or a malfunction necessarily. You know, in fact, it's the arena of daydreaming and and creativity. You know, the whole idea uh, around the brain working continuously, gosh, it was proposed way back in uh, 1929 by a German psychiatrist, Hans Berger, who believed that, that the brain was active even when we were resting. You know, and unfortunately, he was way ahead of his time and not taken seriously, really kind of laughed off the podium, you know, and it wasn't until 2001 that the term default mode, which is another kind of neuroscience term for autopilot thinking, this default mode of thinking um, was actually named and and it was looked at as a continuous functioning of the brain. And it was finally confirmed all those many years later. You know, and and it wasn't until a few years even after that, I think it was like 2003, that the exact regions of the brain that were responsible for this default mode were actually determined. So neuroscience has found that the default mode is most active when we're not focused on anything in the outside world, nothing on the, and when we're like uh, externally focused, it doesn't tend to be as active. Um, but in a resting state, when the brain is quiet, or or we're, our focus is more quiet, um, the brain is going to be more active. The mind is going to wander, we're awake, okay? We're not as focused, and the mind is doing its own thing. And it's also, the mind tends to be less active, autopilot is less active, when we're focusing our attention on that task that is important to us, where we really have to put a lot of concentration mm-hmm. into it. So it tends to be less active then because all the thinking energy is going into that concentration. So it tends to be cost-effective. You know, it's doing its thing, thinking mm-hmm. while the working brain is doing other things. So you driving home was so routine that the autopilot or default thinking took over, but if you needed to really pay attention, like an on, like, you know, being on an expressway, you, you weren't familiar with the autopilot thinking would be less active because you really need to concentrate. That's right. That's right. You know, it's also interesting that the default mode, that autopilot thinking has some very specific functions, you know, like self-reflection, you know, thinking about ourselves, 
might be that I'm thinking about something about my personality traits or my emotional states. You know, it's also activated when we're thinking about others, you know, kind of considering uh, the feelings of others or our social relationships, uh, could be our social interactions with people or our empathy for others. You know, and it also can be found to be busy when we're planning for the future or creating hypotheticals like, hmm, you know, uh, what's this that, that's happening? You know, mm, how am I going to manage this? No, I better do it this way or this way or or I should say such and such or maybe I'll try to do this or that. So it's also making an appearance, you know, when we're being quiet or restful, like in meditating or daydreaming, you know, we're quiet but there's open spaces in our thinking. Again, we're not focusing our concentration on a specific task, an external task. There's much more space to play. Yes, this sounds so familiar. And when I look at it, yes, that's the usual content, you know, critiquing myself, replaying social scenarios, projecting into the future, always wondering, am I okay? You know, (laughs) did I say that right? Mm -hmm. What did they say? Or, or this or that, you know, um, anticipating everyone's needs. Oh my gosh. You know, and the, what if, you know, am I ready for the many things coming up in my life? Oh yes. Dr. Jane, that's the autopilot thinking in my life. (laughs) Yes. And have you called it out on it? It's a steady stream. And that's what we want to recognize is, you know, it's always there. It's always in the background, sometimes making its way to the foreground. You know, there's kind of a parade of mental events. The key word is mental events. Mental events made up from bits and pieces of our past experiences, our beliefs, the conditioning, could be expectations of our future mixed together with, you know, what I sometimes think of as a cocktail of stories and worries, fears, projections, all of it, you know. None of these are facts, Anna, you know, and, and mm-hmm. as we take it in and we really begin to understand that these are not facts, we become less fixated on their content and they have less impact on us. You know, we become ready to, to let the thoughts move on. You know, the key is becoming aware of the thoughts, thoughts, the ideas, whatever they happen to be that arise, you know, and then our willingness to maintain a detachment from them. You know, it's kind of like Mm -hmm. saying, you know, something comes up and we say, nah, you know, not today. I'm turning my attention to whatever, you know, and we get control Mm -hmm. over where we want our attention. Well, not facts is key, just mental events passing by. So we're not trying to stop the thinking process. Yes. Yes. You know, (laughs) And to try to stop the thinking process would be like standing on the tracks, the train tracks, with an oncoming train with our handout saying, stop. You know, no, it's not like that. You know, in our awareness, we step off the train and away from the tracks. But we're always aware of the train's existence, and we always know what's happening on the train. We can observe it, you know, but we're no longer engaged the drama on the train. We're no longer struggling with the, with the right or the wrong of it, we're letting it move along. You know, and the strong pull of the autopilot thinking has everything to do with its kind of uninterrupted process over the days and the years and the decades of our life. You know, this has been a strong pull every day 
in every way. You know, this is an incredibly strong practice of effect because we're doing it over and over again. So we're really up against some powerful autopilot thinking muscle. Autopilot on steroids, right? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Oh, but seriously, though, you know, I'm genuinely getting why we need to put in our time recognizing the autopilot thought stream in the moment and choosing not to fuel it. It's muscle training for our intention and attention. It's like we can control where we may actually have control. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. And our practice begins with what we've suggested, taking that pause, taking that break and allowing the observer self, you know, to arise and and give us the information. You know, we introduced it in our last episode, you know, so it's like we're eating the chocolate, noticing our thoughts wandering and then taking a look at, you know, who's noticing? Oh, the observer self knows, you know, we pause our observer self acknowledges thoughts without any judgment or criticism. We have that information and now we have control and we can choose to return to our experience with chocolate. So these may sound like minor differences in perception, yet they're the foundation for ongoing changes that we might want to make in life. I mean, they can be life altering. So we're tuning into areas that have escaped us, you know, and taking them into account as we recognize the dynamics, kind of what's going on behind the scenes, what's happening here. Is this where we intended our focus? If not, okay. Well, where do we want or need to be in this moment? Yeah, well, for example, you know, I was thinking about this when you were saying that when we start weight training at, at the gym, we don't start with 50 pound weights, right? We, we start light and, and build up. That's right. So our practice, yeah. So our practice in a variety of tasks makes good sense. We're looking for opportunities to notice when and where our thoughts have wandered. And then we bring ourselves back to the task at hand, whether it's eating or something, you know, washing our hands or the dish, waiting on hold. It's all practice time, which builds a new muscle. Yes, 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 yes. You've got it. You know, we could also use it. For instance, you know, I, I was using the example of, of, you know, arriving home and not knowing how I got there. We could also use it when we drive, you know, if we're very intentional um, in our sense of ourselves in the car. So we're actually sensing what's happening in the moment, experiencing the sensation of our hands on the wheel, contact with the car seat, seat belt around us, you know, noticing the sensation of, of stepping on the pedals, you know, scanning the mirrors, watching the road, the other vehicles, you know, allowing ourselves to breathe easily in this whole experience moment by moment. Now that's the ride I wouldn't mind taking. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. And the thing is, Anna, the driving experience I just described is, is kind of mindfulness driving full on. You know, we, we really don't have to do all those different components to have present moment awareness as we drive. We really, we really, you know, kind of merely need to practice experiencing the pause and the observer self as we're driving. You know, it only takes a little shift to get the effect that we can build on, you know, 
start by observing the sensation of our hands on the wheel or increase our focus on on how easily we can scan the mirrors and the traffic. You know, this is this will quite naturally move us into a mix of the observer self information along with multiple pauses as we might kind of wander off and then bring ourselves back. The importance of knowing our intention, you know, our point of focus and placing our attention at the designated um, intended is key. This kind of pause and and, um, observer self are the actual tools that allow both the space and the acknowledgement of what's going on in the space, you know, and this is necessary, absolutely essential for present moment awareness and ultimately to change habitual patterns. You know, we can't make a change without knowing what needs to change. Yes, this is such a game changer. You know, every everything's in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the train of our mind is running 24-7. We want to get off the train or at least not let it interfere with things we want or need to do. So we practice setting up a point of focus, our intention. We could be slicing a tomato or, you know, tracking our in-breath and out-breath. Uh, you know, we place our attention on the designated task and pretty soon the mind wanders or hijacks our con- concentration. Here's where the tools are applied. You know, we notice that our attention is no longer with or, you know, no longer with or intended task, our intended task, excuse me. And then we pause and allow the observer self to assess where the thinking has gone And then we return to our intended task once again. Dr. Jane, what a dance, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Great. I learned so much from you. (laughs) Great summary, Anna. Yes, yes, yes. And it is a dance of our intention and our attention with the many factors that interfere with our desire to maintain them. So a dance is a perfect analogy because even though our intention is sincere, um, you know, and our our focused attention, you know, always needs to be agile. It needs to be able to move, agile enough that we can move and track our experience in its fullness. You know, this is not to be mistaken for a static exercise. It is in movement always. And there will always, you know, as we go along, it will always become more evident as we add to and open into awareness you know, in these practices, that movement, that luscious movement. So for now, we want to continue to experience this multifaceted process, right? That's right. You know, and on a let's keep it real, real simple. You know, a, a simple practice might be to set a timer for three minutes and find a comfortable position sitting or lying down, you know, and allowing our attention to go to our breath just as we find it. Just sensing into that inhale and the exhale in the rhythm that we find and just tracking our breath for a moment or two, letting the breath kind of naturally settle in, find its own pace, and then we shift our intention by placing the palms of our hands together, kind of in a prayer-like fashion would be nice, and we move our attention to our hands. And we experience the sensation of our hands together, skin against skin, 
noticing what that feels like. Noticing the texture, the temperature, maybe surface sensations, maybe internal sensations. You know, notice the thoughts that want to enter into the experience and comment, and critique. And we pause and we acknowledge these thoughts. And then we return to the sensation of our hands touching. And when the three minutes are up, we reflect on our experience, just kind of noticing were we able to settle into the intention, going to our breath and moving our attention to the inhale and the exhale, you know, and, and, and when exactly did the thoughts begin to enter in? When did we start to wander? You know, how was it to pause? You know, what did the observer self, what did that feel like coming into play? You know, and we can ask these same questions of reflection regarding our hands together. You know, were we clear in the intention to change, to change our position, to change the actual action? You know, how was it to attend to the sensation of our hands? You know, what did we notice about the pause or the observer self as we had our hands together? Just kind of letting it be easy. Just giving ourselves this experience, Anna. Well, we're really settling into this dynamic process in its simplest forms. I, I absolutely love that, Dr. Jane. And, and what about practicing the pause and observer self in various daily tasks as we did last time? Well, Anna, I, I think it's, it's important that we continue to seek out small tasks for our intention and then focus our our attention onto that task. These these places are are always available for practice in our daily life. And I suggest that we allow just a couple moments to settle into that intention. You know, where am I placing my concentration? You know, and allowing ourselves to just take a few breaths with that. Just a moment of sensing the exchange of the in breath and the out breath. You know. Following this intention, you know, stating it clearly in our mind, and then moving our attention, that focus, accordingly. Well, this sounds so good. And I'm sensing a great week coming on, Dr. Jane. Oh, good, so, Anna. <laughs> so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Until our next conversation. 